Thank you, Amanda, and good morning, everybody. Uh, just a quick uh, quiz or uh, survey. Um, how many people have read the books? Oh, good, excellent. <laughs> uh, how many people have seen the movies? Okay, all right, so most people have some idea of what's going on. Okay. On the first day of sale, um, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows sold 11 million copies. Um, my family and I were one of the families that bought, we bought three copies because there were three people dying to read it and we couldn't share. <laughs> to date, there are more than 400 million Harry Potter books in the world and they've been translated into 63 languages. And the six movies so far, not including the last two, have made 5.4 billion dollars. And we own all of them, of course. Um, they have already surpassed all other movie franchises in history. And there are two more movies to come, to come um, one of which opens next weekend. Um, anybody planning to go to the midnight showing? Yeah, OK. <laughs> I'm sure you won't be alone. All of this makes Harry a force to be reckoned with. And J.K. Rowling is credited with creating a generation of readers but the books appeal to many adults as well as the children who were the first intended audience. Now, I've got to organize 4,224 pages of material into coherent platform address. Um, so I have chosen to use the eight ethical commitments to discuss the ethical issues in the books, and I hope that it works to both illuminate something of the Harry Potter books and of ethical culture. And given the amount of material, I am not going to do justice to almost anything, actually, but certainly none of the plot nuances. To give you some background, we first meet Harry when he's about to turn 11 years old. He lives with his aunt, uncle, and cousin and is treated very badly by them. Harry then receives word that he's been admitted to Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry and he is transported into a magical world that recognizes and helps him develop his own abilities. He also finds himself in the harsh spotlight of fame. He is, he is marked by a story and a lightning bolt scar on his forehead that precedes him into the magical world. But that world is not idyllic, even with a magic wand. They're not able to bring peace. Um, it has many of the same moral challenges that our world has, and Harry very quickly finds himself at the center of fighting the evil Lord Voldemort, who murdered Harry's parents and tried to kill Harry himself. Voldemort wants to seize power and subject the wizarding world to his whims. Harry is mentored and protected by Albus Dumbledore, the headmaster of Hogwarts, who is considered by many in the magical world and the muggle world, which is our world, to be one of the greatest wizards who has ever lived. In all his adventures, Harry is aided, supported, and sometimes challenged by his two best friends, Ron Weasley and Hermione Granger. All the characters in all the books interact with one another in a fully realized magical world, and I think this is one of the truly great things about the series. This world is complete with moral values which inform and direct the action-adventure tales and which Rowling emphasizes in all the books. It is these moral values that I want to talk about in terms of our own eight commitments of ethical culture. So the first ethical commitment is ethics is central. 
Ethics are also central to the Harry Potter series, and so I have to warn you that if you have not read the books or seen the movies, but most of you have, um, and you want to keep the plot lines and key elements a surprise, you have to leave now. <laughs> because in all the Harry Potter books, the drama and plot depend on the ethical choices that Harry and other characters make. The books are full of humor, exciting plot lines, and an achingly accurate portrayal of tweens and adolescents. <laughs> you know, the first few chapters of book five are almost not readable, <laughs> given all that angst. Um, people love these stories because they can relate to the struggles Harry goes through, the social hell he encounters at Hogwarts, the uncertainty, the regrets, the grief that he feels are all written in a very believable way. The bedrock of these wonderful stories is the moral values that infuse Harry's character and the storylines of each book. But to address a common complaint or critique about the series, while ethics are central to the series, this does not mean that Harry and his friends always make ethical choices. In fact, one of the most appealing things, at least for me, about the books is that Harry, Ron, and Hermione are not perfect, even when they aren't breaking the rules. They all have their weaknesses and their weak moments. Ron acts horribly and very insensitively toward Hermione while dating and dumping Lavender Brown in book six and he's not too nice to Lavender either. In book three, Harry sneaks into the wizarding town of Hogsmeade without permission, and when it is believed by everyone that he is in mortal danger, just so he could be like the other students and get candy and joke shop junk. In the very beginning of the series, Hermione is described as an insufferable know-it-all and rigid rule follower, but after an encounter with a mountain troll, who tried to kill them all, Hermione had become a bit more relaxed about breaking rules, and she was much nicer for it. Harry also has a very uncomfortable experience of seeing a memory of his father behaving badly as a teenager. This is the father whom Harry idolizes, and he must then reconcile his hero worship with reality. And to do so, he breaks some more school rules. Harry is petulant and sullen when, in the Order of the Phoenix, he feels that he is being ignored and left out from the fight with Voldemort. And I've already said the first few chapters of that book are almost punishing to read, so steeped are they in teenage angst and anger. But all these moral transgressions make Harry a wonderful starting point for discussions of ethics and moral values. When is Harry and the, and, and the others, when are they acting ethically and when are they not? How does he make his choices, and do we want to model our behavior on his? The books clearly warn that our greatest moral strengths can be a source of weakness, too. In book five, Harry playing the hero and Dumbledore not telling Harry the truth in order to protect him leads to tragedy. Harry and his friends come across as real people, people we can admire and respect, but who still make mistakes precisely because they are human and they don't have the ability to see the consequences of their actions in advance. What Rowling posits is, as the reason for Voldemort's plans to control the wizarding world also speaks to the importance of placing ethics centrally in life. Lord Voldemort becomes who he is out of fear, fear of death, fear of insignificance. 
His fear makes the unthinkable doable for him. He makes immortality his ultimate goal and literally destroys his soul and the lives of other people in order to achieve it. His name in French is flight of death or flight from death. So while feelings are important to human life, they cannot control our actions. Ethical commitment number two, ethics begins with choice. And this is, I think, this is, this is actually where I started with the whole, you know, really getting into the ethics of Harry Potter. Because the most important ethical message and the central theme of the Harry Potter series is that our choices determine who we are, not our birth, our social class, or our bloodlines. Harry and Lord Voldemort are shown to be very similar in their birth and upbringing, with the important exception that Harry was loved for the first year of his life, while Lord Voldemort was not. And Rowling continues to make the point that it is, it is their choices that make them so different. In the first book, Harry asks not to be put in Slytherin, the house at Hogwarts that has produced almost all the dark wizards in England. Harry was offered the choice, and the sorting hat told him he could do great things in Slytherin, the house of the ambitious. But Harry said no, and so he was placed into Gryffindor instead, the house of the brave and courageous. The other two houses are Ravenclaw for the intellectuals and Hufflepuff for the hardworking. Harry again and again chooses to do what is right rather than what is safe, expedient, or easy in important situations. He chooses to fear, face his fears and overcome them. What makes these books so accessible is that Harry's fears not only include sacrificing his life, but also asking out a girl. We can accept the former because uh, Rowling gives, also gives Harry's very mundane fears and trials dignity and portrays the full moral ambiguity of our, own of our teenage years. Dumbledore is the moral center of the book, of, um, the books. He plays the role of mentor, teacher, and moral weight to Harry's bravery, moral impulsiveness, and heroism. He provides Harry with insight into the larger context in which Harry's exploits take place. He provides guidance and necessary help. For example, he gives Harry the invisibility cloak that plays a large role in all the books. In the first book, he gives Harry invaluable information that allows Harry to defeat Lord Voldemort's attempts to steal the Sorcerer's Stone, which gives immortal life. And in the sixth and seventh books, it is Dumbledore who shows Harry how to defeat Voldemort once and for all. Dumbledore is presented as a good but fallible person, and this fallibility is explored with relish by a corrupt news reporter, Rita Skeeter, in the last book. Dumbledore's main ethical dilemma in the events of the books is choosing between truth and love. In book seven, we learn that Dumbledore also faced the ethical temptation of power for power's sake and all the lies we tell ourselves to justify choosing power over duty, in this case, Dumbledore's duty to his family. The centrality of choice is most apparent in book five, The Order of the Phoenix. We find out that Harry's life has been shaped by a prophecy made shortly before he was born. The prophecy is why Voldemort tried to kill him and why Harry must be the one to face Voldemort in the final showdown. But Harry still has choices to make about how he does that 
what weapons he chooses to use, and ultimately his decision to offer up his life as part of his attempt to defeat Voldemort. Despite the fact that a prophecy made just before his birth has given shape and even purpose to his life, Harry still chooses how to live out that prophecy, just as we all choose how to live out our, you know, the circumstances into which we are born. Ethical commitment number three, we choose to treat each other as ends, not merely as means. Love and loyalty are the two highest moral values in Harry Potter. Throughout the books, Harry undertakes danger to help and protect those he loves, and Harry himself was saved by his mother's love. She died to save him, and her love gave him protection from both Lord Voldemort's killing curse and the curse of having to live with the Dursleys. Harry is both able to give and receive love. This gives him power the Dark Lord knows not, as the prophecy puts it. Friendship and its importance is another moral theme throughout the series. Harry could not have navigated Hogwarts or faced Voldemort without the help and support of Ron, Hermione, and other friends. Harry's friends show loyalty to him too, not only by brave action, but by serving as counterweights to his moral impulsiveness. Loyalty is shown as telling the truth, questioning assumptions, and even defying friends when they are doing things that are dangerous. This is in contrast to in book six, um, when the Ministry of Magic tries to recruit Harry, who is then considered the chosen one, um, as basically their mascot. And they really don't care how Harry feels or what he thinks about ministry tactics and personnel. They just want him to appear to be on their side. So when in book five, Harry has a dream, which he takes as an actual true vision of Voldemort torturing his godfather Sirius, Hermione shows her loyalty and bravery by questioning Harry's reasoning. Okay, Hermione said, looking frightened yet determined, this isn't a criticism, but don't you think you've got a bit of a saving people thing? <laughs> Voldemort knows you, Harry. What if he's just trying to get you into the Department of Mysteries? And when this argument fails, she then shows her loyalty by, she goes with him to, they all go to the Department of Mysteries. And of course, that's just what Voldemort was trying to do. And in the ensuing battle, which Sirius joins, um, Harry's godfather, Sirius is killed. The bravery and rashness of both Harry and Sirius cost Sirius his life, and Harry is left with the knowledge that he played a major role in his death. Harry's grief and guilt are searingly, searingly portrayed at the end of the fifth book and are a dramatic consequence to Harry's moral overconfidence, but also his loyalty and love. Love, loyalty, and friendship can only be given to those we see as ends fully realized beings with hopes, goals, and fears of their own. To Voldemort, others are tools to, to, to use to achieve his aims. He has no friends, and he loves no one. Bellatrix Lestrange, the deranged murderer of Sirius and ardent follower of Voldemort, is really something of a tragic figure, because it's clear she loves Voldemort, which is a feeling that he continually discounts and he is incapable of returning. Ethical commitment number four, we seek to act with integrity. But besides these weighty, serious explorations of seeing others as ends rather than means, Rowling gives us a delightfully, painfully honest portrait of adolescent love and relationships. 
This is primarily in book six, The Half-Blood Prince, but also in all of the books after book three. And some may argue, and some may argue with this, that maybe it started earlier. Ron and Hermione both exhibit less than stellar behavior as they grope, quite literally, <laughs> their way to seeing each other as life partners. Ginny Weasley is clear that she dated a lot of other boys at Hogwarts with the express hope of getting Harry to fall in love with her. And Harry juggle, struggles with jealousy about the boys Ginny does date. Rowling gives us a wonderful example of adolescent love, which leaves us asking, what does integrity mean in terms of adolescent dating? The question of where Professor Snape's loyalties lie, and, and so his integrity, has been an, was an ongoing question throughout the series, which was finally answered in book seven, but not before Harry is forced to face the humanity, warts and all, of Albus Dumbledore, who has some skeletons in his closet, and that is a pun intended for true fans. In Deathly Hallows, we finally learn the story of Dumbledore's early life, struggle with the enticement of power, and ultimate rejection of power for power's sake, when his loyalty and duty to family is seriously challenged. Ultimately, Harry triumphs because he does not seek power for power's sake, and so is able to do what is needed to defeat Lord Voldemort. Rowling, dri Rowling drives home the point that acting with integrity, which also includes questioning authority, are much more important than obedience in the characters of Percy Weasley and Dolores Umbridge. Neither of these characters is a death eater, a supporter of Voldemort, but neither acts with ethical integrity. Percy betrays his family in his rigid adherence to the party line of the Ministry of Magic, which refuses to believe Harry and Dumbledore that Lord Voldemort has returned at the end of book four. We watch this betrayal evolve slowly through the, through the first four books, solidify in the fifth book, and the breach is not healed until the climatic battle of book seven. Percy is a rule follower who becomes blind to the truth because of blind obedience to rules. Dolores Umbridge is a much splashier one-sided character who plays a prominent role in the fifth book and also in the seventh. She is determined in book five to bring Hogwarts under the control of the Ministry of Magic, even if she has to destroy it to do so. Sirius tells Harry, I know Umbridge by reputation, and I'm sure she's no Death Eater. She's foul enough to be one, said Harry darkly. Yes, but the world isn't split into good people and Death Eaters, said Sirius with a wry smile. I know she's a nasty piece of work, though. She uses cruel and unjust just methods to bring about her desired ends, and it becomes a matter of moral integrity that Harry and his friends oppose her, even though by doing so they are breaking the rules. And here, J.K. Rowling is applying the dictate of the French philosopher Jacques Maritain that an unjust law is not a law. Rowling also directly confronts the tendency of those who view themselves as fighting evil to use tactics that can be considered evil. And it's important to remember that these books were written, especially where this becomes true, the books were written after 2001. Sirius describes the tactics used to fight Voldemort the last time he was powerful. Imagine that Voldemort's powerful now. You don't know who his supporters are. You don't know who's working for him and who isn't. You're scared for yourself and your family. Well, times like that bring out the best in some people and the worst in others. 
Crouch's principles might have been good in the beginning. He rose quickly through the ministry. Crouch fought violence with violence and authorized the use of the unforgivable curses against suspects. I would say he became as ruthless and cruel as many on the dark side. And that's from the Goblet of Fire. This abuse of power is more likely to occur when we see those we are fighting, when those we are fighting are demonized and seen as other and evil rather than as human beings with the same mix of selfishness and nearsightedness as the good guys. And this, of course, refers back to the ethical, ethical commitment to see others as ends, not just as means. Ethical commitment number five, we are committed to educate ourselves. Education is central to the themes in Harry Potter. He both learns in Hogwarts and also from Dumbledore, and when faced with the need to, he educates himself and his peers, as he did in forming Dumbledore's army in book five the students who gathered secretly to practice magic needed to defeat dark wizards because Umbridge bans the use of actual spells in the school. In the characters of Umbridge and her attempt to take over Hogwarts, Rowling forces us to ask who controls education, who chooses what our children learn, and who controls the information that we receive. Rowling directly attacks journalists and how they manipulate stories for sensational reasons in the, in the character of Rita Skeeter. And, this, and Rita Skeeter puts it quite bluntly to Hermione when she questions the Daily Prophet, which is the wizard's uh, newspaper, um, when Hermione questions their motives in publishing or not publishing stories. She says quite bluntly, the Daily Prophet exists to sell itself, you silly girl not present the truth, not present ba balanced coverage. Another aspect of educating ourselves is outside the realm of school. Harry and Dumbledore undertake the difficult task of learning about Tom Riddle, the orphan who grew up to be Voldemort. By doing so, they uncover the means to defeat him. Another question that we have to ask ourselves when considering this ethical commitment in light of Harry Potter is how do we choose the right teachers. Ethical commitment number six. Self-reflection and our social nature require us to shape a more humane world. In the wizarding world, this is presented as an issue of accepting diversity. From Hagrid, the gentle half-giant, to Remus Lupin, the brilliant teacher who happens to be a werewolf, to Hermione Granger, the best witch in her year, who happens to come from a muggle or non-magical home, Rowling ch champions the value of diversity. One of the major divides in the wizarding world and one of the major drivers of the central conflict is between those who welcome all, irregardless of bloodlines, versus those who would limit magic and its benefits to those who come from the right families. In this day and age where people are still being killed for being born into another religion or having the wrong skin color, Rowling's appeal for tolerance and respect, showing its benefits in the magical world, is a counterbalance to the intolerance of our own world. Intolerance and its effects are made very apparent in the issue of house elves. House elves are enslaved to wealthy, pure-blood families whom they serve until they die. As one of them says, House elves is not supposed to be happy. House elves does what they is told. 
In this storyline, Rowling grapples with the problem of not only imposed discrimination, but internalized feelings of inferiority and general acceptance of inequality. Because even though most families in the wizarding world do not have house elves, they're not wealthy or pure blood enough, they just kind of accept it. That's life. Even Dobby, who is a house elf freed by Harry Potter at the end of the second book, says of himself, Dobby likes freedom, but he isn't wanting too much. He likes work better. Other house elves are pre presented as actively opposing any change to their status, just as happy Negroes and Uncle Toms were pointed out as reasons not to promote abolition or civil rights in our own history. Ethical commitment number seven. Democratic process is essential to our task. J.K. Rowling has been accused, or noted to be, depending on how you see government, as very anti-government. For the most part, the Ministry of Magic, which, which functions as the government of the magical world in Britain, is corrupt, inept, and concerned with keeping itself in power rather than facing up to the challenges the return of Lord Voldemort presents. In fact, in Book 5, it is difficult to say who is worse, the paternalistic magical government or Voldemort. The government is represented at Hogwarts by the power-hungry control freak Dolores Umbridge, discussed earlier. In the final book, the ministry is easily taken over by the Death Eaters, Voldemort's followers, and many ministry officials fall easily into line. Most notably among these is Dolores Umbridge, who moves easily from handing out sadistic punishments as a teacher at Hogwarts in Book 5 to presiding over inquisition-like trials of witches and wizards whose blood is not considered pure enough in Book 7. The books raise the question of what individuals who work in a government can or should do to combat, combat waste, discrimination, or threats to human life. What is the role of the bureaucrat in the democratic process? Ethical commitment number eight. Life itself inspires a religious response. In this commitment, the word is religious, not spiritual, not contemplative, or any other words we might want to use. It's religious, I think, because humans need to organize our experiences and create a community around those experiences. Those experiences include the most beautiful and sublime, uplifting, but also include the ugly, frightening, and discouraging. Our experiences and those of our children also include poor choices, mistakes, and fumblings. All these things are experienced by Harry and his friends. This may be the beauty of the epilogue at the end of Book 7. It gives us a glimpse of the world Harry, Ron, Hermione, and their friends were able to make after vanquishing Voldemort. The epilogue, I think, can be considered religious because of another very important aspect of religion, which is hope. Hope that life or life after death will be better for the believer. Having experienced so much with the characters throughout the seven books, could Rowling have concluded the books in any other way? Rowling herself has said that she could not. The emotional ties were too strong to sever at the end. J.K. Rowling appears to make a concerted effort not to include religion in the books. There are some, but there are some rituals that take place in the books. The Sorting Hat Song at the beginning of each school year at Hogwarts. The Halloween and Christmas feasts. Shopping for school supplies in Diagon Alley. 
the Hogwarts Express taking the kids to school. But none of these is designated as religious. Harry Potter ultimately is a celebration, an affirmation of the goodness and strength of children and the moral power of the individual in a supportive community to have an impact, to do what is right in the face of anger, fear, prejudice, and ignorance from many sources, including the social elite and governmental bureaucracies, as well as those who have truly embraced evil and wrongdoing. I hope if you have never read these books, you will be more willing to explore them. And if you have read them, I hope this platform has given you a little more insight into why they are such wonderful books. And because I just spent two days in a therapy training um, that was one of those drink the Kool-Aid type things, <laughs> you know, where we had to believe that you know, the, the person giving had the whole truth, all, all the truth and nothing but the truth, um, I, I would actually love to hear what you think I missed, uh, what you were hoping I'd at least touch on, and if you have any suggestions for how we can uh, deepen the discussion of ethics in Harry Potter. Thank you.